Today, I wanted to talk to you on the subject of saving faith. Saving faith. You see, every person everywhere in the world currently is exercising faith to some degree. Every person everywhere believes. We are creatures that believe. We have been made by God to be worshipers. For example, the patient has faith in his surgeon. I mean, the patient has enough faith in his surgeon to allow that surgeon to put them under general anesthesia. <laughs> you, you don't even know what they're doing to you while you're under anesthesia. You just got faith that they're going to do the right thing. You don't even know what they're taking out of you. You don't even know what they're putting into you, but you have faith. That's a general concession that everybody has faith. Travelers exercise faith in the pilot. Sleeping baby trusts his mother's arms. Citizens have faith in their government to the point where they would want a bigger government. Government's not big enough. We want a bigger one because they have so much faith in their government. Agnostics, they exercise faith, believing that there's a God that is inconsequential. They have that much faith to believe that there's a God and it doesn't matter that He's there. That's how much faith they have. Then atheists, they too have faith. Atheists, they believe that there is no God. That's a form of faith. The Bible says even demons believe, even demons have faith. It says in James chapter 2, verse 19, the demons also believe and shudder. But faith is the centerpiece of Christianity. Faith in Christ is what makes Christianity possible. But what does it mean to have faith? That is the question we have before us today and in the next couple of weeks. Because I believe that uh, we need to drill all the way down to understand what does it mean to have saving faith. Because... It seems like there are many kinds of faiths, but all faith doesn't save, does it? Of course not. Is your certainty in a historical Jesus the same as your confidence in a risen Christ? Because, I mean, there are historians that are very certain about the history of Christ, but yet they haven't yet placed their faith, their hearts in the hands of Christ to save them. Because you're going to have head knowledge about history, yet not actually have saving faith. There are different kinds of faith, different kinds of beliefs to exercise with different outcomes. So the conclusion here I have for us is that not any kind of faith is also saving faith. Saving faith is a different kind of faith than a regular general kind of faith. All humans can exercise general faith, but it takes a man who has been touched by God, by the grace of God, to actually exercise what we call a saving faith. General faith does not save a person from eternal judgment. General faith does not save a person from God's coming wrath. Because remember, God is a just judge, and He has to punish sin And the Bible says all sin deserves death, therefore God has to punish all sin with death. He will never be an unjust judge because the moment he becomes an unjust judge, he also no longer is holy. Therefore, he has to punish our sin with his wrath. And 
What he did was he made a way by inserting Jesus. Jesus is the one who makes intercession for you and I, and the wrath of God falls upon him instead of on us. He is our substitute. It's called substitutionary atonement. Jesus jumps in front of the wrath of God and absorbs all of it on your behalf. Now, the only possible way for us to be in that position where Jesus saves us from God is when we have faith in His ability to do so and faith in the fact that He promised to do so and faith that He would come through with the promise that He gave us. So the conclusion is that not all kinds of faith is the same. They're all different, and no faith saves, saves except for saving faith, and this is the faith that we are going to be discussing over the next couple of weeks, so don't miss a Sunday. Did you know, we're not talking about it today, today I'm laying a foundation in a different, different direction, but did you know that your mind responds to faith, saving faith? Your emotions responds to saving faith. Your will responds to saving faith. And we're going we're gonna to unpack that whole idea and we're going to see what it means to have saving faith. <clears throat> but praying to God in faith that a loved one would survive a health scare is not saving faith. Even if that loved one does survive and your prayer does seem to have been answered it doesn't mean that you're saved because that faith is not saving faith. Even if you pray to God and you ask Him in faith, please God, help me with my end, uh, my, my end year exam at school or college. And even if He does and you do pass, that's not saving faith. That's completely different than saving faith. We need to know what is saving faith because it is, it is the most important concept for any human being to ever grasp and to ever understand and to ever exercise is saving faith because your eternity depends upon it. Ephesians 2 verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved. How? Through faith. That faith right there is saving faith. For by grace you have been saved through faith. As a matter of fact, salvation is through faith. The Bible says that we walk by faith. The Bible says that we ought to fight the good fight of faith. The Bible says that it's impossible to please God without faith. There is no Christian life outside of faith. There is no salvation outside of saving faith. So let's pull the curtains back to see some of the nuts and bolts that make up this faith. It's my goal to help us understand the God in whom we have faith and to understand what makes up faith so that it can be exercised. And why is it that we are able to have faith? So hopefully those questions will be answered today in some degree. But trust, first and foremost, is a, necess is a necessity. Trust is necessary for us to have faith. It's an indispensable quality of faith. Can we all say trust? You cannot say, I have faith in God, but I just don't trust Him right now. <laughs> See, I can't say that I, I really have faith in you, but at the same time, I trust your character. 
you're a shady person, but I have a lot of faith in you. <laughs> Only the world gets to say that kind of nonsense, right? <laughs> it doesn't even make logical sense. To have faith in God means to trust God. So the obvious next question is, what does it mean to trust God? What does that mean? Well, trusting God means that you trust God's character. You trust God's character that He will not lie to you ever. That He's not a man that He should lie. As a matter of fact, that He cannot lie. And that He will never change. And that what He said He would do, He always does. There's never a shadow of turning with Him. The moment He decrees it, bet your bottom dollar it's going to happen. Why? Because of His character. He is perfect. He is holy. There's nothing corrupt in Him. And when you learn about the doctrine of God, which, by the way, we do on Wednesday nights, you will see the attributes of God. And when you recognize the attributes of God, it is impossible to not trust God as the Bible articulates Him. So in other words, to trust God means you trust His character. He'll never lie. He will do what He said He would. Therefore, to trust God means that you trust His Word. Trust that the Scripture is infallible. Trust that the Scripture is sufficient. Trust that the, script, the Scriptures cannot be broken. Why? Because, let's say, again, Steve, if I say that I absolutely trust your character, you never lie. You're always honest. You do everything you say you will do. Come hell or high water. You're there. You're reliable. You're consistent. You're trustworthy. Now, the moment you tell me something, I believe it. The moment you promise me something, I believe it. I have faith in what you say because I trust your character. Sometimes it's easier to understand it than negative. Let's say, for instance, there's a guy, his name is Johnny. Johnny is a liar. We all know it. <laughs> Johnny never comes through. He's never where he says he's going to be. He never does what he says he's going to do. That guy is, got, is a shady guy. Called him steel many times. He comes to you and he, and he promises you something. Can you believe what he said? Well, no, you can't because you don't trust his character. So you have to first trust somebody's character in order to believe what they say. That's faith. So faith comes because we trust. Trust is an absolute necessary element of faith. So when I trust God, it means I trust His character. Because I trust His character, it means that I trust what He says. I trust His promises. I have faith in His promises. And because I trust His promises, I have hope. Now, our God, the one we trust, whose character we trust, and whose word we believe in because we trust Him, this God of ours is a sovereign God. He's sovereign, why? Because our God determines the end from the beginning. The Bible says it very clearly. He's the one that fixes the end and comes back to the beginning and creates everything. He even says that the cross of Jesus Christ 
that took, took place 2,000 years ago only was established before the foundations of the earth. He even says that he knew you before time. This God that we serve is a sovereign God. He actually chooses the outcome of all things. In any situation, his plans will be established. In any situation, his purposes will prevail. Always they are immovable. Nobody can overthrow God. He is sovereign. So to trust God is to trust God with the outcome of a situation. To trust God is to say, God, I trust that you have already figured out the end of this road that we are currently traveling. Therefore, I can relax. I don't have to have a heart attack right now. <laughs> yeah, I can relax. You have fixed the end. But to trust God doesn't just mean relying upon the fact or resting in the fact that He already has chosen the outcome of a certain destiny, but also the way to get there is His. In other words, I have to trust how God is going to get me from here to where He has chosen for me to end up at. I have to choose God's way there. Or I have to rest in God's way. That means tr trusting God's ways. Number three, here's a big one. Not only do I have to rest in the fact that he decides the outcome, but I also have to rest in he chooses how to get to the outcome. Just think about Joseph. In the beginning of his life, God says, you're going to be a king and everybody's going to bow to you. Well, that's easy. That's easy to rest in. Oh, yeah, I can rest in that. I'll be a king. Okay. But what he didn't know was God's way of getting in there, through the pit, <laughs> into slavery, in a prison, almost his whole life until he got there. But you have to be able to rest in God's way there. Here's the third one. Here's a difficult one. You also have to rest in God's timing when he chooses to do what he already decided is going to happen. Now, if you're able to do that, you trust in God. To make it really, really kind of contextual and understandable, I'll put it in a different, in a different context, okay? Let's say, for instance, a girl is single <clears throat> and she wants to uh, get married. Um, for her to rest in the fact that God decides what that should look like, it's already quite a hurdle to jump over. No, 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 I, I know what I want, God. I don't want you. No, no, I know you want a guy with, I want a guy with guns. <laughs> I want a guy with, with, with character. You know, I can, I'll, I'll get him saved eventually, God. No, no, God has fixed the outcome, number one. But secondly, you have to also rest in the fact as to how God was going to get you there. That's trusting God. And then thirdly, you have to trust God or rest in God's timing as to how, as to how He's going to get that done and when that will happen. So in every context in life, believe me when I tell you that God is the one who determines the outcome. But God also determines how that is going to happen. And finally, God determines when it's going to happen. And when you can rest in that, you are trusting God. In theological terms, in biblical terms, it's called trusting the sovereignty of God. 
or trusting a sovereign God. God's sovereignty means this. He owns the universe, doesn't he? It's his. Cattle on the thousand hills, it's his. He tells the oceans this far no further. He decides everything. He owns the universe. But not only does he own the universe, he rules over all of it. There's not one atom in the whole entire universe that has decided to override God. The Bible says not only did God create everything, but God upholds all things, the might of his power. He upholds everything is within his rule. So he owns the universe. He rules the universe and the creation, but he also rules over the history of humanity. God is the one who makes history. He has to, because he stood before the foundations of the earth, and he decided when Jesus was going to hang on the cross. God writes history, man does not. No man will ever write history outside of God. God's not on, he's not um, on the ride with me. No, I'm, I'm, on, I'm, I'm on the ride with him. <laughs> you know, most Christians today, they, they basically have this Christianity where they, to them, Jesus is just coming along for the ride. Like, yeah, Jesus, you know, when I get to a place, I need you to do something for me, I'll call on you. But otherwise, just keep coming because I'm deciding what's happening here, which is really not the case. No, God decides and we are on this path with him, and I'll show that to you in Scripture. No man makes history outside of God. In Psalm 75, verse 6 and 7, Psalm 75, verse 6 and 7, the Bible says, No one from east or west or from the desert can exalt themselves. It is God who judges. He brings one down and he exalts another. It is God who brings one down, and it is God who exalts another. History belongs to God. It is His story, not mine. And it's no ruler's story. It is God's doing. Saul was God's doing. Pharaoh was God's doing. Potiphar was God's doing. Pilate was God's doing. The soldiers was God's doing. He planned it all. It is God who judges. He brings down and he exalts another to fulfill his purposes. You might say, well, no, but in an in, in individual person's life, it's different. Well, no, not so. You know, all, that your, all your plans, personal plans, all your business plans, all your family plans are subject to God's plans. All your personal plans, all your business plans, all your family plans are subject to God's purposes in your life. The Bible says, James chapter 4 verse 13, Come now, why do you say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit? Yet, do you not know what your life will be like tomorrow? Yet, you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. Excuse me. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. For you are just a vapor that appears like a, in a little while and then vanishes away. Verse 15, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. 
if the Lord wills, then I will go here and I'll go there and I'll stay here and I'll make some profit. If the Lord wills, if the Lord wills, then this will work out. If the Lord wills, then it won't. I know this is a strange concept to most people because most people serve a God that saves while they are sovereign over their own lives. Let me say that again. Most people serve a saving God only. God, I don't need you in my life, to be honest. I'm making decisions over here. But when I get there one day, save me, okay? That's your job. But here, right here and right now, no, no, I take care of everything here. I make decisions. I have priorities. I have goals. I have ambition. I do what I want to do. And then one day when I get there, when I get there, uh, then you do what you have to do to save me. So that is basically people's Christianity. But that makes God the Savior, but you sovereign. In other words, you are God over Him. He's not God over you. But the Bible calls Him sovereign, which means everybody and everything throughout all of time is under His rule. Nobody rules God. Nobody's plans exceed at the expense of God's plans. Nobody's purposes can succeed at the expense of God's purposes. No, God is sovereign. Let me read that again, James 4, verse 13 and 15. It says, Come now you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Verse 14, Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You don't know. For you are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. So we see that nobody makes history outside of God. We see that nobody makes personal plans outside of God. But we also see that not even one bird falls to the ground without God's permission. I mean, think about this. In Matthew 10, 29, it says, Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? What's he saying? Copper coin was the smallest denomination of money that they had. He says, and for a copper coin, you can buy two of these birds. That's the cheapest grocery run that you can ever experience. He says, are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? They're almost worthless. Yet, not one of them falls to the ground apart from God's will. Not one bird falls to the ground outside of God's will. Many translations says, without God's approval. When a bird falls to the ground, it is within God's approval. So we see trust is a necessary element for us to have faith. But my question is, who do you trust? Most people trust God just to save them, but they don't actually trust the sovereign God. The God who is actually God, from the top of heaven to the bottom of hell, He's always God everywhere. That is sovereign. Nothing happens outside of His eyes' sight. History cannot be written without Him. So today I want to encourage you, trust God as your sovereign God, 
not just as your saving Christ. Trust Him as your sovereign God. He's not blind. He's not, he, things didn't happen without Him knowing. Nothing was hidden from Him. Nothing is premature or late. It's all within God's purpose and God's plan. Trust Him in that way. Secondly, hope is a necessary element of faith. Hope is a necessary element of faith. See, you can, ex you can exercise hope while at the same time not put your hope in God. Some place their hope in college and a college degree. Others put their hope in the stock market. Others put their hope in investment ETFs. And others put their hope in another person instead of God himself. However, you cannot say, my hope is in God and God alone. Watch this. My hope is in God and God alone. Then fall apart emotionally when life doesn't go your way. If I fall apart because life didn't go my way, it's because I trust and have hope in a God that will save me, but not a God that is sovereign in my life. Does that make sense to you guys? We have never been taught on God's sovereignty. That's why we become so insecure and uncertain when things just don't go our way. But remember, things didn't go, uh, things didn't go um, really, Joseph's way. I mean, things didn't seem to be going Jesus' way. Uh, it actually doesn't seem to go anybody's way. But at the end of the day, guess what? It's still God who determines the outcome. And we can still trust Him because He's sovereign. He doesn't stop being sovereign because somebody cheated or somebody lied or somebody deceived me. So you don't ever have to be shaken because somebody doesn't like you or somebody discriminates against you. Because if you fall apart because of those things, it's just because you're not trusting a sovereign God. The only trust you have in God is save me when I get there one day. But that's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is a sovereign God. You know, while I was putting this together, I was just realizing how much we still have to cover and learn about God. <laughs> At least the God of the Bible. You know, <clears throat> many people... <laughs> have God totally figured out, except for when they open up their Bibles, it's like, why are you so different than the one I know? <laughs> you know, we, still, we have so far to go to understand exactly who our God is. His attributes. Because when we find those things out, we can't help but trust Him, and therefore it's impossible to not believe every single word that comes from His mouth. So, Hope is a necessity. You cannot say, my God is the one I have hope in, but then fall apart every time life does not work out the way you planned. Those who believe in a sovereign God, they can tell their emotions to line up with what they believe, and they do. Especially when things don't go as they planned. 
If you say, Jacques, I still don't believe it. Well, let's turn to Proverbs 16.33. I'm so glad somebody said that. <laughs> let's turn to Proverbs, <laughs> Proverbs 16.33. <clears throat> God is in control. God is sovereign. He is God everywhere, always. The Bible says in Proverbs 16.33, We may throw the dice, but the Lord determines how they fall. <laughs> we may throw the dice, but it's God who determines how it falls. So what does it mean to put your hope in God? Biblical hope is built on faith. So we talked about what it means to trust God, right? To trust God means you trust His character. To trust God means you trust what He ordained. You trust how He ordained for us to get to His destination that He has for us. And we also trust, we rely, we, we, we rest in His timing of that plan. Because He's sovereign. Whatever He says, we can believe because we trust Him. But now we're talking about hope. Hope, another necessity for faith. What does it mean to put your hope in God? Biblical hope is built on this faith. I have faith in what he says because I trust his character. Because I trust his character, I have faith in what he says. But now that I have faith in what he says, I have hope in that expected outcome. Biblical hope is built on faith. Hope is a confident expectation that naturally stems from that faith. Hope is the assurance that something that hasn't happened yet Indeed, is going to happen because God has said it and I can take Him at His word because I know His character. Hope must involve something that is not yet. Hope must involve something that you cannot see. Romans chapter 8 verse 24 says, For in hope we have been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope. The moment you see it, it's no longer hope. I hope to get a car. I hope to get a car for my birthday. I walk out, my wife hands me, my new car. I'm like, there it is. I don't have to have hope anymore because there it is. So the Bible right here says you have hope in that which you cannot see. <clears throat> Example in John 14 verse 3, Jesus promises that he is coming again. That's what he says. John 14 3, he's coming again to get us. I can have faith in his word because I know his character. So I can have faith in that statement. By faith, we trust Jesus' words. That leads to hope that we will one day be with Him forever. Okay, so, John 14, 3, He says He's coming back. I have faith in what He says. Why? Because I trust Him. But now that I have faith that He's coming back, I have hope. I ho my hope is that I will one day be with Him forever. You see, the relationship between faith and hope can be illustrated in the joy a child feels when his father walks up to him and says, Hey, son, guess what? Son says, What, Dad? He says, Tomorrow I'm taking you to Disney. Wow. The child believes that he will go to Disney based on his father's word. That's faith. He believes what his father said. That's faith. Why does he believe his father? Because his father doesn't lie to him. So now he believes his father's word. 
And at the same time, that belief within the child now fills him with hope. And that hope kindles an, ir an irrepressible joy, an excitement, an expectation. This is so key, you guys. I hope you're staying tuned. This child suddenly, naturally, hope just floods him. And now that hope floods him, he has this irrepressible joy. Yes, we're going to Disney tomorrow. Where did that emotion come from? That emotion comes, was rooted in the hope that he has. And the hope that he has is stems from the fact that he believes what his father said. And he believes what his father said. Why? Because he trusts his father. That child trusts his father's character. That child, therefore, believes his father's promise. And because he believes his father's promise, he's filled with hope for tomorrow. And because he's filled with hope for tomorrow, he suddenly bursts with joy. And this, folks, is why Christians can, in the midst of trouble, they can stand in the midst of ruins and burst with joy. Why? Because their hope is in their God's Word. Why is it in their God's Word? Because they can trust what their God said. Why can they trust what their God said? Because um, they have faith in what their God said. Why can they have faith in what their God says? Because they trust His character. So in the same way, you have faith in God when you trust God's character. He'll never deceive you. He'll never lie to you. He will never change. In the same way, you can have faith in your God because you can trust His character. Therefore, you can believe His Word. And because you believe His Word, you can have a hope for the future. And since you have hope for the future, you too can be filled with the joy of God. And herein lies your strength. Herein lies your strength. You know, I can't, for the life of me, I, I've never been able to figure that out. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And I used to preach stuff like, come on, get joyful. Tell your heart to be joyful. Well, you can't, you can't command an emotion. When you have a person that's completely filled with, you know, with regret, you can't tell them, oh, just stop it. Just stop feeling that way. All right, I, I should have thought that myself. You know, I should just stop feeling that way. Nobody can actually just command an emotion. Somebody's weeping because they're heartbroken. No, no, don't feel that way. Feel happy. Oh, okay. You see, that doesn't happen. You can't command an emotion. Be happy. Now, I do that to my children, but I just want an external result. Like, you smile right now. Okay, Daddy. <laughs> See, you can't command an emotion. But the joy of the Lord is your strength. That joy is because you have hope. That hope is because you have faith and you believe His Word. That faith or that belief is because you trust His character. Think of this. God is sovereign, which means He owns the universe. He rules over all of creation. And he rules over human history. And believing and trusting a sovereign God allows you, therefore, to confidently rest, even in this restless, cruel world that we live in. Believing and trusting in a sovereign God allows you to, enables you to be satisfied, even when everybody around you is disgruntled. Why do you think the great men of old were able to be content with nothing. Wearing camel hair, living in deserts, content. Because they lived and believed and trusted a sovereign God. They lived for this God. 
faith in a sovereign God allows you to be calm when everybody else is anxious. Everybody's like, oh, the sky's falling. I'd love to know God do it. I'd love to see God do this. You know, I'd love to see how God ends this story. Faith in a sovereign God allows you to be satisfied when everybody else is disgruntled. Disgruntled. Having faith in a sovereign God enables us to obey the scripture that commands us to rejoice always. Philippians 4.4 I can rejoice even in this circumstance because my God is sovereign over all circumstances. Why do you think Paul and Silas were able to worship God out loud in the middle of the night, shackled up in a prison unjustly? They could do it. Because they knew their God was sovereign over every event in the world and in history. Having faith in a sovereign God enables us to obey Scripture that commands us to give thanks in all things. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 Because you believe God is sovereign, you're able to give thanks no matter what circumstance you find yourself in. Here's another one. Because you serve a sovereign God, not just a saving God, a sovereign God, you're also able to be content with what you have. Hebrews 13, 5. It says it very clearly. Be content with what you have. Never in the history of humanity have we seen people with so much be content with what they have. Uh, never in history have we ever seen anybody, a generation, be so discontent. even though they have more than anybody else has ever had, they're discontent with what they have. But the person that serves a sovereign God, that person is content with what they have and where they're at because they serve the sovereign God, the one who determines the outcome. His purposes will stand. I want to finish off by reading Psalm 33, verse 6 through 17. Psalm 33, verse 6 through 17. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to read this out of the um, CEB, the Common English Bible. The Bible says in verse 6, The skies were made by the Lord's word, all their starry multitude by the breath of His mouth. He gathered the ocean waters into a heap. What a picture. He gathers the ocean waters into a heap. He turns a mountain out of the ocean. It's then it says, He put the deep seas into storerooms. He put the deep seas into storerooms. Uh, most commentators show that these storerooms are the oceans of water underneath the crust of the earth. God stores the waters there to fill the oceans with. And they, and they also point to God storing the oceans in the clouds above us in these storerooms. Verse 8 says, All the earth honors the Lord. All the earth's inhabitants stand in awe of Him. Because when He spoke, it happened. When He spoke, it happened. This is significant of the fact that whatever He says, take it to the bank, it's going to happen. Why? He's sovereign. You can trust his character. He never lies. And so all of earth stands at awe of God. 
Because when he spoke, it happened. When he commanded it, there it was. Verse 10, the Lord overrules what the nations plan. The Lord overrules what the nations plan. Another word that you can use is overrides. The nations are planning and they're planning and they're strategizing. But the Lord overrides all of their strategies. And then it says he frustrates what the people intend to do. But verse 11 says this. But the Lord's plans stand forever. What he intends to do lasts from one generation to the next. In other words, even though people's plans are frustrated by God, no one ever frustrates God's plans. Let me say that again. Even though everybody's plans are frustrated by God, He frustrates everybody's plans, God's plans are never frustrated by anybody. Because His plans stand forever. I'll read that to you again, verse 10. The Lord overrides what the nations plan. He frustrates what the people intend to do. But the Lord's plans stand forever. What He intends to do lasts from one generation to the next. Verse 12. The nation whose God is the Lord, <clears throat> the people who God, whom God has chosen as his, as his possession, is truly blessed. I mean, that's, a, that, that's incredible. Look at that. The nation's... Who, whose God is the Lord, the people whom God has chosen, those whom He has chosen for Himself as His own possession is truly blessed. The Lord looks down from the heaven. He sees every human being from His dwelling place. God observes all who live on the earth. God is the one who made all their hearts, the one who knows everything they do. Verse 16, Kings aren't saved by the strength of their armies. Kings aren't saved by the strength of their armies. Warriors aren't rescued by how much power they have. So what's it saying here? Is that a strong man should not glory in his strength. Don't think you won because you were strong. Don't think your victory is because you're great. Kings aren't saved by the strength of their armies. Warriors are not rescued by how much power they have. He's saying, watch out. Don't think that you're going to make it because you're strong. Because remember Goliath? It doesn't matter how strong somebody is. Because nobody can frustrate God's plans. Then it says in verse 17, A war horse is a bad bet for victory. It can't save despite its great strength. A war horse is a bad bet for victory. It cannot save despite its strength. So it doesn't matter how strong your horse is, because that was their vehicle to do battle with, right? Doesn't matter how strong your army is. Doesn't matter how great your strategy is. God decides the victor. God decides who wins. He lifts one up and he puts another down. He is sovereign over all. No man will write history outside of God. God frustrates everybody's plans. His plans will never be frustrated. And I'll close with Psalm 21, 31. It says, the horse is made ready for the day of battle. The horse is made ready for the day of battle. But victory rests with the Lord. Why? Because He's sovereign. Family today, 
I want to encourage you. This is such a wonderful moment for us as a church family to decide today that I am going to be a person of faith. Faith in what way? Faith in God's word. Faith in God's character. That God is not just a saving God. He is a sovereign God. He rules and reigns in my life, in my family, in my church, in my city, in our nation, and in the world. And no man can frustrate his plans. His plans will be established. His plans are being established. And that's why we can be content in the midst of chaos. We can be content and joyful in the midst of ruins. It doesn't matter what circumstance you are under. He is sovereign over that circumstance also. And that should give us peace. Amen.